the studio. Okay. What's happening, folks? Yannick Guzdala. It's the Yannick Guzdala podcast. Very important upfront announcement. Tour dates coming up. A ton of tour dates, actually. Um, the big ones for me for the trio in the UK in November, November 6th, 7th, and 8th. Two nights at the Pizza Express, 6th and 7th, and one night at Peggy's Skylight in Nottingham. Those are all available right now. Tickets uh, are linked below in the description of the YouTube video uh, or at yanagwasdala.com forward slash tour. I'm also giving three clinics hosted by eight beat masterclasses while I'm there. One in Bournemouth, November 4th, one at the Pizza Express during the day, November 6th, and one at Peggy Skylight also during the day before the show, before our sound check up in Nottingham. Those are also on sale and linked every, just everywhere you can find links, basically. Um, other tour dates include, well, not exactly tour dates, but I'll be at the Baked Potato with Bob Reynolds. Uh, looking forward to that one in a couple of weeks here in LA, right before I leave for China with uh, with Cy Leo's Free Dimension with Cliff Armand and Manuel Valera. Um, I'll be in Hong Kong at Suen Wan Town Hall, October 18th. Uh, I'll be in Shanghai at the Blue Note, October 19th. Um, Tanko Mouflan Park in Beijing on the 21st. It's all October. Um, and Dahua Urban Performing Arts Center, also in Beijing on the 22nd. And I'll be in Tan- uh, Tianjin. Um, the Tianjin Binhai New Area Cultural Center, October 24th. Um, so, yeah, and then I'll be home for a second, quick turnaround, f- you know, knock out a few more episodes of the podcast, and then off to the UK for those dates that I just mentioned. Um, yeah, and then more stuff coming early 2024, spring 2024. I've got vital information days coming up, all kinds of things going on. Um, looking forward to announcing uh, all of that. Uh, also, I get so many messages and comments and emails and stuff like that about, hey, um, really interested in the base books, but are they, do they have tab? Are they available in physical form? Yes, 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 yes. And yes, normally the answer to all those questions is absolutely yes. You can get them all at Amazon uh, in physical form. Jeff Bezos does take 40% of <laughs> of what you pay. Uh, so I'm always a big fan of Buy Digital, where, where you can buy them at my website, of course, yannickwasdala.com. They all come with play-alongs. They all come with videos. They all come with tab. Um, yeah, that's that. Quick kind of announcement slash plug for the books. Uh, let's get into today's episode, the evolution of a song, of something that came from a demo back in 2020, something that was adapted demo wise um kind of over the years over the past three years but definitely way more so in the past few months before going to argentina then something that made it to the rough stages of recording in the studio and then something that came out this week as the the second single from the album is called 13 fathoms and i want to take you inside what that process the, the bigger picture of that what that looks like as an artist, as a composer, as a, as a band leader, and and making demos, it's interesting. I, I can't remember who I was talking to. Maybe it was on one of these consultation things where I was talking to a student about making demos, how important or not that is. And I definitely made a lot of demos for this album. I demoed every song basically, um, but my answer to the question was that it wasn't necessarily that important. I just have the means and the time and. It, it helps me. It's actually a bigger part of my composition process than it is a part, than it is an essential part of handing the musicians 
the the sort of demo material to play because I've really unless it's something so completely specific that I can't have it any other way, which is quite rare, actually. Um, even if it's a heavily composed tune, I'm normally very open to changes and in interpretation and ideas in terms of changing what I've written. You know, from the musicians, that's the whole reason I hire them in the first place is because I trust their judgment and their taste and their ability. Um, but yeah, the demoing process is more, is a more important part of my composition process than it is demoing. Um, but the, the byproduct of having those demos is that I actually have something to show you and the evolution of this thing that started off as like a pandemic slash lockdown slash what the fuck am I doing? Not being on the road, not recording, not doing my job, basically. Um, like, what am I going to do for these months? How do I fill this time? How am I productive? I'd always wanted to experiment with something a little bit heavier. If you've been following me for any length of time at all, you will have probably heard iterations of tunes like this. I might be able to dig out a few others to play you as well, kind of show you where my head was at. But one of them was this thing. Um, it's actually a line, this line that I came, I came up with it a very, very long time ago, I probably 20 plus years. I was using it as a as a practice idea. I've talked about it a little bit, like the evolution of this, you know, just this, this idea. I've talked about that in a video before, maybe even in the podcast, but so it's, it's been floating around my head, but actually putting that into practice and then putting harmony with it and different sections and expanding it into a composition came in, I want to say like May or June, a few months into total, you know, parking break on the career as, as we all had everyone across the world had um this is what came out of it it's a little bit heavier i wish i had a better version <laughs> in terms of the bass it's a little bit clangy um i definitely hadn't dialed in this particular sound yet but this is kind of what it started life as in terms of a song tons of reverb <laughs> And all program drums, of course. Real clangy bass. And tons of guitars. Okay. So that's basically it. It was basically those three, well, two main sections, but then a vamp section, then a melody comes in and it goes back to that. It was kind of back and forth. It's only about two minutes long. It wasn't, it, it never became a fully fledged song. It just went in a folder of sort of genty, uh, you know, periphery slash animals as leaders kind of, uh, demos basically i was like oh maybe i'll make a heavy record like that one day and uh and see what comes out of it of course that hasn't happened not I'd never say never but what has happened is if i can get out of this screen get back to yeah get back to what it started to become in terms of a demo then then it went from i think i called that 
a gent line. It was just every, I think there was one demo called A Gentleman and His Cane that was like a play on a, a Michael Brecker tune. Um, anyway, as, as a demo, it became nine plus four because it's basically a section in nine um, and then a section in four. It is not a tune in 13, but then it became nine plus four for the demo. Then it started to come into focus in terms of like, well, there's no guitar player in the band. Um, so the whole overdriven heavy guitar thing has probably got to go. Um, and then like, what, what, what else am I doing with it in terms of it, it's quite, quite static and a little bit boring in terms of where it goes with just those two sections. So it was time to kind of expand upon that. This, this is what I handed the guys. I did not hand the guys what I just played you with all the guitars on it. Although I actually, you know what? I may have sent that as an initial like, hey, just to warn you, this might, something like this might be coming down the pipe because it's not the easiest thing to play um, for any of us. Actually, it was one, one of the toughest things I took to the studio. One of the things we had to work the longest on. Um, so I may well have sent them that Genty one very early on, like really, really early on. But the, the thing when I finally did like the final batch, the final folder of demos that I always try and send to musicians before we go to the studio. When I did that, this, what you're about to hear is what I sent to Cliff and Tom and Juan Pablo as it became nine plus four with the extra section that you're here. Still with the program drums. I think I've re just re-recorded that bass line without all the distortion on it. But it's quite empty here as you can hear. Replace the guitar melody with a synth, just for reference. Repeat, repeat. I'm gonna I'm gonna skip down here so we can get to the next section. With the piano here, I'm definitely starting to think more about it being a piano trio that I have and really writing specifically for Tom. And this goes apparently on and on and on, way more than the album. This, wow, this went around like nine times or something. Oh, then I opened it up. There we go. I think my intention over this part 
with the unison kind of with this rhythmic thing was to really make it into a feature for some something someone maybe a bass thing maybe a drum thing i wasn't sure that's always something if i'm gonna write for a drum solo that's a little tough to convey in a demo there's no way i'm going to sit there and program actually program a drum solo like a tom jenkinson would or something like square pusher would um i just don't have the time the patience or probably even the skill set to sit there and really program sort of complex drum solo stuff so i wasn't sure what it was going to be what it ends up being as you'll hear when i play you the track or maybe you've even heard the single it's out on youtube right now it's called 13 fathoms it's on my main channel um what you'll hear is that it's more like some bass fills over that and then it opens up into a piano solo um and i you know i copied and pasted that a bunch of times so this this is way longer than the than the previous iteration you heard and then eventually after this sort of piano section um yeah after this piano solo section it gets back into the main theme back into that so what all my demos seem to have first of all now i'm listening to this is way too much reverb on everything (laughs) um but yeah, so that's 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 what I gave that's what I gave the guys that was our reference that was okay this is how we're doing it um and and it changed from that obviously you you'll hear i'll play you a little bit maybe i'll just actually play it straight from youtube from my youtube channel um it really kind of strayed from that and of course as soon as you add the musicians in that gives you the edge of oh we're here we're making music it's not just this sequence it isn't the same drum pattern over and over and over again we actually have uh real like touch and and finesse here um where is where is it i gave like i i I shoved some footage in the single you'll see i shoved some footage in there of tom working it out (laughs) poor guy and he said i mean quite rightly so he said it was torture and it sort of was trying to play that on piano he he would come in each morning We, we we spent a couple of days i think maybe we did this on day three so we'd been there two days well on the third day so every morning tom came in and sort of worked on that a little more there was a separate room with an, with another piano in it and he was oh i'm just going to sneak in here and play this so i i, I had to throw some footage of that <laughs> and it's not easy it's impossible <laughs> he writes this nasty music i don't know if this is even half speed i think it's it's a torture it's torture He's quite shocked when he gets it here. Yeah, I'm just going to love watching this back. Yeah, so this is the single. This is the... now i'm playing that line as well in unison with the sequence which was was kind of tough to do in the moment i gotta say
So this part that was like that was sort of meant to be really genty. That was the initial, you know, that was the initial sort of concept for it um, when I did that demo all those years ago. And it turned into this quite modal thing and more open and sort of like E E minor to F major, almost like an E Phrygian thing. And yeah, it was kind of interesting the way it changed when you added that human element to it and just added the, the added the moment, I guess, is, is what the important thing was. Because I didn't direct Tom to do that. I didn't direct him to play those voicings uh, over, the, over the bass line. That's what he naturally went to. And it, of course, I, I think it was, it was perfect for the song. Um, would I have done it slightly differently with the melody? Maybe when I listen back... Um, maybe the synth thing i'm not like i have to admit i'm not crazy about that and that's nothing to do with tom that's just the way i ended up producing the track but there was also that point there it hmm, there was that point there is that point i think in every song where you have to go okay well this is what we did actually did this is the honest representation of what happened in the moment and what was happening at that time so you know that's one of the trade-offs here of having all this extra time i don't normally give myself this much time to produce to edit to mix a record before it comes out i'm normally really like from the studio to the mix room to the mastering room to you basically within days and now i'm giving myself actually some some time here some months it will be from recording to release so that's one of the one of the trade-offs that's it was something i have to reconcile somehow and be okay with and it's something i'm getting better at just being able to say to myself okay you know what maybe this wasn't the way i intended it or the way i heard it right away but it's the way we did it and actually i think it sounds great um and i've got to try and get out of my own way and just let it go so it's a big um big exercise in yeah, in letting go, I guess. There's, there's no other way to put it. Just a massive exercise in letting go and being okay with what with what happened, uh, which I am. And I'm just, every time we get a, a new song, we, of course, we're in rapid mix mode here because it's coming out. I had said the twen- I had said the 17th um, but then of October, but then I'm all like, I'm so out of touch with what is going on with when music is released. They uh, Albums always used to be released on a Tuesday, as far as I remember. Now, apparently, they're always released on a Friday. So I'm going to put it out. And I read something about it and actually made sense when I read it. So instead of the 17th, it's going to be the 20th. It's just three days later. Um, Either way, I'm actually going to be in China at the time. So it really all has to be done before I leave. So we're in major mix and uh, mix and master mode here. It was a little, took a little longer for these first three songs. I have another single coming out. Uh, It will be next Saturday. Um, the third single is coming out. It's called Concord. It's mixed. The video's done. Um, and because there was video for it, like really specific video that we shot in the studio for these three singles, took a little bit longer. Uh, so now we get to the to the rest of the album, basically, to the meat and potatoes of all uh, all, all the other bits and pieces that that don't have like dedicated video singles for YouTube. Um, so we're ramping up production because because I leave for China on the fourteenth. That only gives me uh, just under, what are we today, October 1st, October 2nd, something like that. Gives me less than two weeks to finish the whole thing. Uh, Plus, I'm going to include some of these demos for the pre-sale. For anyone who's involved in the pre-sale, 
I, I mentioned that there would be bonus tracks. There would be things for you guys, for anyone involved in the pre-sale that will not be available to the public. Um, and I think one of those things are going to be a couple of these demos. Uh, people have expressed some interest in hearing. That's why I'm doing this episode of the podcast the way I am. People have expressed some interest in like, hey, how do you demo? What do those things sound like? What is important to give to a band when you take music to them to record? Like all those kind of questions I've been getting recently from yeah, from YouTube and from emails and from students. So I figured, okay, let's make this episode of the podcast really talk about something specific as that single literally came out this week. Uh, and it's a song I'm very proud of and the, the playing on it I think is fantastic from everyone and it just came, really kind of came together better than I could have imagined so it's a great time to do this particular episode it's also good I think to to mention that those will be some of the extras some of the bonuses some of the extra value in being a part of the pre-sale is that I can include some of those demos I have basically a demo for every song I'm not sure if it actually makes sense to include all of the demos for them, but especially when there's an evolution like that, I think it's interesting uh, for you to have something kind of unique that you don't, you don't really hear that process um, on albums. I know there are tons of albums that I would have loved to have heard the demo process for. Um, and sometimes those would have been like just the artist on their own with maybe guitar and singing a melody, even if it was instrumental you know, I'm always curious about how an artist, how a composer gets, collects their thoughts into a place to to present to a group of musicians to play them. And some people, it's strictly the written note on the paper. Um, and in in times past, that has been the same way for me. I've done actually many albums with no demos at all and really just done all the writing at home written the charts and and that's it we go to the studio and and we imagine uh, or reimagine or, or or sort of come up with the, the 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 arrangements and everything and the sound and the vibe for each of the tunes in the moment in the studio i've done many albums like that i believe uh motion picture was done quite a bit like that i think a lot of theater by the sea was done like that in fact um, and, and some of the things like I would only have, because like, I practice with the loop pedal so much, I would, I would really just have a little, maybe a, a phone recording or a little low quality audio recording of my loop pedal from my practice room. Uh, when I think about some of those songs and how they, how they came about, I'm actually going into Spotify right now. Um, I wonder if we can actually get a little bit more. There's a tune. Ooh, if I have these in my iTunes. Ooh, is it? Is it? Yeah, could be. Yeah, okay. So I can actually give you a bit of an example of another tune and its demo process because it kind of jumped out. It's also, I think, one of the, if not the most played tune of mine. Um so if anyone ha has been listening to that um, on the record, it's on the Union from 2019. It's called Light Years. I know that's a tune that a bunch of people have covered and I've, I've seen some versions of that on YouTube. Um, so maybe this is of some interest to you. Um, I'll give you a quick taste of... This is from the album, obviously, of Clarence Penn and Ruslan Sorota and myself. I think this ended up just being trio even though philip dizak is on the record as well yeah so 
really wanted Richard Bona to sing that and we could not hook it up schedules did not align and it ended up the record was happening and Patatucci was producing that record and the schedule and Ruslan was on the road with Josh Groveman and like and I was in LA and Philip Dizak was like moving from New York to Texas I mean it was an insane set of scheduling and logistics for that album so I, and to get a, a, a date at the bunker studio with John Davis, who I wanted to work with, and just the whole thing, how, how to line that thing up. I'm amazed it happened actually. So I'm not so upset that I, I didn't get Richard on it because I knew it was a big ask to line yet another crazy thing up in, in on the same day. We only had one day. Basically, cut the whole album in five days. Not in five days, in five hours. But that tune. Let's get back to the point here. Started life as this yet another programmed vibe wow i don't even remember this actually interesting this is really stripped down huh well there's the melody at least The old baby elephant sound. Okay. Okay, so that's an early demo. I wonder if this is a different one. Oh, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> here's another bit of trivia. This tune was originally uh, meant for a trio record that I made with Dennis Chambers and Tim Miller that never never saw the light of day we cut it in early 2018 i want to say maybe january 2018 we went in the studio and uh for what many reasons it just didn't work out the way i wanted it i didn't end up putting the record out if you've been listening to me on the podcast or following me for a while you probably know the story by now anyway um so this sounds like so you heard the demo that was really stripped down now this sounds like there are live drums on it Let's see. Still, yeah. So that's Dennis Chambers and Tim Miller. And I guess I left the melody in programmed. Tim play along. Oh. Okay, let's get down here. Ooh, okay. Okay, so so it is, I've talked a little bit about this before, but maybe perhaps I've never talked about it with the actual music here, with the roughs from that session. 
because it is a tough decision to make when you say, okay, I go in a studio with, with two, just two of the greatest musicians alive and, and two of my favorite musicians, uh, period. Never mind the fact that they're one of my favorite guitar players, favorite drummers. It's like, to me, the dream team. Um, that was the catalyst behind it. It was just like, this is just the ultimate thing I could ever imagine doing musically. And maybe it was because of that that I went in with a certain amount of expectations and on my part, a very poor amount of preparation. Um, that was one of the big factors that, yeah, I just, I just wasn't ready and the music wasn't ready and there weren't enough tunes and there weren't enough, just wasn't enough thought into the process of production, you know. I do wish I had that opportunity to go with Dennis and Tim now, you know, some years later. Um, but yeah, so, so one of, so that's a, that's a tough decision to make, but it was one I was okay with even right afterwards. It was sad, but it was like, Oh yeah, you know what? This is just not, it's never coming out. Not, this is not going to see the light of day. And I was okay with that. The, 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 the only sadness I feel now is that when I hear the you know, when you strip away my composition and the 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 shortcomings of my sort of lack of preparation into like i said in terms of the production the pre-production you know maybe this was a time where i really should have done much better demos should have done better programming there's so so many things i probably should have done a lot better and forced the issue because of scheduling and having people in the same place at the right time and it just ended up not being the right time. The saddest thing about that now is when I hear the actual playing, when I hear Dennis's touch on the snare drum, I'm like, oh man, I'm sad that that's not a part of my discography, for instance. Like that's not something I share with the world. And when, especially when I hear Tim, Tim's, you know, melodicism when he plays a solo. And I'll play a few now. I mean, who knows? I, I don't actually know what this is what kind of take this is it just says and this was called the towers before and on the record when it eventually got recorded the, the year later it was called light years um it just says the towers rough bounce there's no date with it or anything so let's see what this solo was from tim i'm sure it was amazing no matter what um let's see
Oh yeah, okay. You don't definitely don't need to hear, hear my bullshit. But yeah, it's it's sad when I hear moments, and maybe that you know maybe that wasn't like the greatest Tim Miller moment in history. But it's that this I have a connection with him and his play. I mean, it makes me emotional just talking about it right now, and reminds me how much I miss working with him. And as I'm listening to it, I'm thinking, shit, man, it would be just out of this world to have the new trio plus Tim especially knowing what we just accomplished in the studio and what and the kind of places we can get to as a band like adding Tim's vocabulary and sound and and sort of energy to that would just yeah that's something I, I gotta I don't even have to write it down I just know something that, that that has to be a goal at some point to put out at least one great record with Tim with Cliff and, and Tom that would be uh, that would be quite something um so yeah, just as I listen to that, I'm just reminded of how big a part of my musical life Tim has been over the years for 20-something years now, and how many records we've made together and shows we've played, and yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of things that we've done together musically, and how he was there on my very first record, and um, it would be nice to be nice to get back in the studio with him and do something because he's just been his sound and his thing has been a massive part of my life that I yeah I really miss and listening to that sort of brings it all flooding back um almost in with tears of emotion so yeah didn't expect that at all <laughs> when I hit record today uh didn't even think I was going to listen to that tune uh literally ever again but here we are um, it's yet another example of the demoing process and um, I know when I did live at the 55 bar and I probably don't have any of that anywhere close no yeah. that's going to be on some random hard drive somewhere I would have to do way I'd do a ton of research to bring you that stuff but tunes like Ophelian I know I demoed up that um, if you know that tune I especially remember going from the melody being unison like that to working on all the reharms right here. I remember that pretty pretty vividly, but again, that would just have been with the loop pedal. And back then, it would have been with the Line 6 DL4 with only 14 seconds of record time on it. So every section of those tunes on that record were no more than 14 seconds long. Um, especially, like, it goes to... When it goes to the chorus, I guess? Or I don't know what it is. And... <laughs> haven't listened to this shit in so long god damn uh, yeah i've forgotten so much of the stuff that's on here um but yeah demo wise i do remember those being sort of little bass ideas um from the loop pedal from the dl4 
um, motion picture. I'm just looking through this the, the, the discography here um, to give you a little bit more insight. Um, I will say that, like with Theatre by the Sea back in 2013, um, Erd Nas has probably been the most uh, sort of the tune I got the most feedback about on that is the one people request the most. I think it's the one people have covered the most. That again was definitely, um, definitely a loop pedal demo. Um, and then even afterwards I was quite like most of the rest of that record didn't have any demos at all. Um, just looking at the names of these tunes here. Yeah. Didn't have any demos. And I know when I went to track the rhythm section with Peter Erskine and Alan Pasqua, I just took charts and I didn't really, I had tempos and I had charts and we just, I mean, we, re, we recorded that entire album, the rhythm section, all nine tunes in four hours. I'd booked two days with those guys and we were done in four hours. And most of them, there were definitely never more than two takes. And I would say at least six out of the nine tunes were first takes. I know Chicago Opener was first take, uh, Nas was first take, uh, Portugal was first take. And Portugal was one of those tunes. In fact, this album was one of those albums. This was sort of the first time I ever did things piece by piece. So I recorded the rhythm section in L.A. at Peter Erskine's studio, just the three of us, me, Peter, and Alan. And then I went to New York a few weeks later and recorded everyone else. There are a ton of people on that record. It's Randy Brecker, Mike Stern, Bob Franceschini, Nia Felder, Lizzie Loeb, Elliot Mason, who am I forgetting on there? Someone, I'm looking at all these tracks. Oh, uh, Sergio Bain from Manar played on Espana. Um, so I did a lot of overdubs after the fact, shortly after the fact, but definitely after the fact. So it was the first time I'd pieced together a record like that. And I think, I seem to remember at the time, I haven't listened to this tune in probably 10 years like since we did it, but I seem to remember at the time thinking that the tune Portugal, yeah, kind of came together it, it kind of came together like like it had been demoed it, it felt like a pop tune that had been demoed and then sort of had all the parts replaced but it wasn't it was literally just i wrote the tune down on a piece of paper and did the rhythm section then came in and did the melody and all the extra parts i think near is playing some um the acoustic guitar on there you hear is near felder And Lizzie Loeb singing. And Mike Stone playing guitar. But I remember thinking like this is really close to what I imagined sort of the 80s and the 90s would have been like going in to make records with people like Mike Stern and Bill Evans the sax player and Jim Beard and like all those people that I listen you know Hiram Bullock and Schofield and I, I, I imagined that's what those bigger projects sort of felt like to make and that was this in 2013 for me was really sort of a even though I'd done like in especially in um the space in between that was i guess well i guess i did the space in between there were some overdubs there as well but we did most of that live in the studio like the core band did a lot of the playing um 
so yeah, I had already done somewhat of a larger project in back in 2010 with Space In Between, um, with a lot of different cats on it. But that track in particular, Portugal in particular, felt like, oh, this is what the process was like for those guys. 20 or 30 years even before before I came around. Like the stuff I grew up listening to and being inspired to move to New York by. Um, especially with Stern, like it's that classic thing. He was such a hero of mine. And like hearing that on my own record, again, even though he had played on a record like three years before of mine, and we've been on the road by 2013, we've been on the road for seven years or eight years or something together, or more, maybe even 10 years at that point. Um, so we've been playing a lot. Like this wasn't a new sound to me. I'd been listening to him as a kid. Then I got to tour with him a ton. And then he's already played on one of my records. It's the second record of mine he's playing on. So it wasn't new in terms of the chronology. But there was something about that track and parts of that record um, that I was quite proud of in terms of reali- realizing some like personal goals in, in terms of feeling feeling like I understood the process of my heroes a bit better. That was a very interesting process to go through on that album. Yeah, and this tune in particular felt like felt like I kind of built a song more than I had before. I've never played it live. I haven't listened to this in probably 10 years. But, uh... Sonically, it feels like it still holds up. Oh, I think that was another important thing as well. Something I was really scared of in in the in the kind of process in the kind of approach i took to this recording the rhythm section so like insular like so separately on the west coast and then everyone else on the east coast i thought it would sound like that i thought it would sound really disjointed but i think that was one of the proudest things uh, when i finished the mix and proud i was proud of john who who mixed it and recorded the east coast uh parts of the uh, side of things just that the result we got with that in terms of it not sounding like two different albums like it to me that mix and that um and the song just makes sense and peter's really minimalist approach with the drums on the whole record actually just Oh yeah. Oh, this whole other section. Oh yeah, I forgot about this. Piano and bass together. Oh. And right there, just that moment is like, okay. That's that's like it it might not be like stylistically relevant for two thousand and thirteen, you know, like what was happening in twenty thirteen and Glasper was on the scene already and the things were going in a very different direction. This record is is out of way out of date by that point. But in terms of 
you know, fulfilling a childhood dream, if that's maybe a selfish approach to take to it, I don't know. Um, thankfully, I don't care anymore. I think I was a bit self-conscious about it afterwards, even though I loved some of the moments on it. Um, that's that it's exactly what it ended up being, was just like this really uh, kind of cohesive... At least I thought so. And and I guess listening to it now after all these years, it still sounds pretty cohesive, i got to say. Um, sounds like a song, sounds like a band. I love Erskine's approach. Just Pete is just the master of minimalism and uh, really driving the bus from the back w- without having to say very much at all. I really dig that about him. I think that's... Uh, he's incredibly unique in that sense and just yeah like i said just hearing that the opening line of a mike stern solo on my tune on my record is uh that's a great moment it's something i'll um like i said i haven't listened to this in forever and probably won't again uh for a very long time unless i'm asked to or have to talk about it for some reason but it's it's nice to know that it happened and and all of those people, it's just whether the, like I was saying, like whether the album or the music is out of date, even for the time, even for 10 years ago, um, I think the performances everyone delivered on it were were very, very honest. There was no bullshit. There was, um, it was quite lean in terms of like the efficiency and, and, and the input everyone gave it was really kind of on point. <laughs> Anyway, getting all nostalgic. Um, just looking down the list here, see if there's anything more that jumps out. It Only Happens Once was completely improvised, so there were no demos there. The space in between? Demos. Do we have demos for that? No. I think not. That was... No, definitely not. 2010. I bought, I'd, <laughs> No, absolutely not. Live at a 55 bar? No. Um... Mystery to me, my first record, I, maybe one of the tunes I'd programmed, maybe Joshua I'd programmed, um, but that was about, oh, and maybe Mystery to Me, maybe the title track I had a demo on, because I had some like jungle drum and bass uh, samples or something that somebody had given me, and I, I just used them on everything, I practiced to them all the time, and uh, so there's probably a demo of that floating around. Um. Yeah, I'll have to dig that out. Time stands still. That might have been programmed. Shit, now I'm thinking about it. Oh, uh, it's it's immediately JoJo as well. Fuck me, I haven't listened to this either. Ooh, it's so JoJo. As soon as you hear the ride symbol. Just did, I, I think I mentioned it in last week's episode. I, I just recently was in the UK and did um, did this super long episode for uh, 
of, well, I don't know if it's a podcast episode, but it's a super long video interview for the Scott Space Lessons for the main channel. And um, Scott was very complimentary, uh, had a lot of nice things to say about this record in particular and the process for doing it and the fact that I did it young and it just, yeah, had a, had a lot of cool things to say about it and played some some of it for me. And I've, I had not listened to it in so long. And next year will be the 20th anniversary of the record. Like, it's that old. We're getting into the, it being a couple of decades old now. Um, and now just listening to a few seconds of Time Stands Still, I know I went, woo! and it's, it's, it's dumb to woo your own music because that's that just that's a big ego trip but it's not at all I, the, the reason I went woo was I can't I still can't believe that I was in the room you know with, with those guys playing my own music like that's that's the that's the thought there that's the memory that's that's what that's what it takes me back to is like fuck man you've actually got in a room with Jojo Mayer and Gregoire Marais and Gretchen Palato and Elliot Mason and Mark Turner and Tim Miller and you, you you played your own you got to play your own music and you got to play with them and the amazing thing was I, the, uh, I think I maybe I talked about this in the SBO interview um, the only person I wasn't like really good friends with was Mark Turner that was the only guy I, had, I really didn't know and um, I, was it yeah, I think it was in the SBN interview. I talked about that, and just you know, it was written. I'll let you 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 have to you have to listen to that interview. It would the the whole album saxophone wise was written for someone completely different, and then it, at the last minute it wasn't possible for them to do it. So I rewrote the whole thing uh, around Mark. It came came to be that Mark was available and willing to do it on a on an absolute shoestring budget back then, and just crazy that it all came together and we got to do it in such a beautiful studio at manhattan center studios it's it's where they did like justin timberlake justified like a big like uh r&b hip-hop pop room like a serious manhattan studio no fucking around like real big boy shit you know and just looking back on it I'm like holy crap that actually happened and that we rammed the control room full of people. It was like Snarky Puppy before Snarky Puppy. I just didn't have the budget for video cameras to be there capturing it. But we had a live audience in the studio and recorded that album top to bottom, as you hear it on the album, live in one take. I didn't change the, uh, the running order or anything. The only thing that we did to it, there were no fixes, no repairs. The only thing we did was actually on this tune, Time Stand Still, was we added those extra horns that we just didn't have enough people for live so i added john ellis uh, i think john played what did john play well john played live he played the solo the so no mark played shit now now i'm having trouble remembering maybe john played bass clarinet live shit this is where i wish there had been video i know there's there are photo i have photographs black and white photographs not that it was in the 40s but i have we have some really nice photographs that jonas took um jonas bostrom my great friend from bergen norway who was there with me from the beginning did the artwork did the photos i i know there's pictures of uh john playing bass clarinet i know he played soprano on the opening track a bunch of things but really the only thing we did after the fact like when everyone else had gone was to add those extra horn parts that you hear so we just orchestrated it a little bit um, uh, yeah 
Yeah, so bass, clarinet, and soprano. So John played bass, clarinet, and soprano. Mark played tenor. That's it. And Elliot played trombone. So where is Elliot? Elliot's going. I don't even hear Elliot on that one. Is the connect? Is that possible? Was he playing keyboards on that? Damn. Wow, maybe Elliot didn't play on that track. That's crazy. Things I'm oh, it's twenty years ago, so of course I'm going to forget stuff. I'm getting old. Um, but yeah. Uh, no idea how we got to that. Well, we were talking about demos, right? So there is, there's something of that that exists. Um, I know I did something with John Ellis. I used to do a bunch of stuff with John Ellis. Um, I wonder if I would have that. No, um, no, I don't think so. Now I have a live version of it. What is this? Who is this even? Oh, Sean Rickman and Adam Rogers. <laughs> yeah, Adam Rogers actually ripping over that. So, no, I know there's a demo floating around somewhere because I did. I used to record a lot with John Ellis at my house. So, we just like, I'd, I'd write just tons of crazy um, woodwind arrangements. Um, and uh, yeah, so I know there's a demo floating around with that. But yeah, in general, I guess to close it out, um, not so much demoing. Um, it's like I said at the very top, it's more um, the demos are more a byproduct of my composition process because I like to record the ideas I'm having um, as I'm as I'm having them, just get it down and, and capture it somewhere and have like a library or a folder of stuff going on. That's what I have. I think I have just Argentina sessions or something on the hard drive where all the ideas went in. And I took, I think, two or three more ideas than we actually got to record. Had to make some executive decisions last minute and chop a few ideas out. Um, but yeah, that was... Uh, what we got, I'm super happy with. Um, I can't wait for you to hear it. October 20th, that's the <laughs> revised release date, just a few days later than I planned. Um, and like I said, tour dates are all up on the website, yannickwasdala.com. I know DR Strings are sponsoring a couple of the clinics in the UK, which I'm really happy about. Um, and I look forward to doing this in person with you. If you're a follower of the podcast or the music and you're in the UK, if you're in Bournemouth or London or Nottingham, um, it's always a fun time when we can do this, when it's not just me talking for an hour, but it's you asking really specific questions that I can dig deep into and and hopefully come up with some great information for you and recount, recall stories and, and moments in the studio and, you know, recall experiences that will, will help you navigate your own, your own path. Um, so, yeah, go check out the singles, the two singles that are out there already. New one coming out next weekend. Um, the last of the three singles before the album comes out. It's called Concord. It'll be out October 7th. Um, pre-sale is linked below, as, are every, as, as is everything else. All the books, 
just all the stuff. It's in the description of the YouTube video or in the show notes if you're listening audio only. Uh, all right, that's it. Long one today. Appreciate you making it this far. Catch you on the next one. Thank <laughs> you.